Welcome, traders, to the SPACs attack. Let's get it started. How we doing, traders? Welcome and welcome to the SPACs Attack, where we talk everything SPACs. So if you like them, definitely give me a thumbs up. Also give me a thumbs up if you're here for the lots. I know that we had a lot of people in our Twitter excited for this interview. So I'm going to bring on the brains to the show, my man, Chris Ketchy. Hey, Mitch, what's going on? How are we doing today? Hey, excited, excited. I got my got my little Miami shirt. I, I might feel like buying a car today. Who knows? Who knows what could happen today? But definitely, definitely, guys, give us a thumbs up. Let's get this show started. Let's get into some headlines so we can get right into our interview. So take us back, Chris, like you know you do. All right, guys. Yeah, so starting for headlines today, let's go ahead and hit on those former SPACs that reported financial quarterly results last night. So up first, we had uh, Hylion, H-Y-L-N. So no surprise here that there wasn't a lot of new news, right? We had CEO and founder Thomas Healy on the show not too long ago. So they see their first sales happening in the second half uh, of 2021. Um, you know, talking about the Hypertruck ERX demo units on track um, for showcase with fleets towards the end of 2021. Also highlighted that Hypertruck Innovation Council, um, you know, those partners that we talked to uh, Thomas Healy about. Um, but again, not a lot of new news out there. Um, you know, so shares trading a little lackluster from that report. Then we had QS QuantumScape. So QuantumScape, you know, again, a couple of years away from that battery coming out. So for now, the big story uh, seems to be, you know, their cash on hand and, you know, will they be able to make it to production or will they have to be able to raise more? Um, so they see full year fiscal 2021 cash spend on operations, CapEx, $260 million to $320 million, expected to enter 2022 with $1.3 billion in liquidity. Um, you know, so shares did sell off. Um, but again, this is a company a couple years away. Um, you know, so if you're investing in it, you're investing for the longer term here. Um, but a decent amount of cash uh, on hand to, to fund those operations. And then our our former SPAC that reported that had uh, numbers to report was Open Door. So ticker O-P-E-N. Um, so Open Door's first quarter earnings per share, a loss of 48 cents, which was in line with estimates. Sales of 747 million beat a 620 million estimate. Um, and then they see, uh, so total homes sold were 2,462, which was up 190% quarter from the last quarter. Total homes purchased 3,594, up 78% from the last quarter. Um, you know, again, they're still recovering from the pandemic with the buying and selling of houses. Um, guidance looked okay, though. Shares were trading higher last night, but they have fallen now today. Uh, but keep an eye out open, um, you know, in the online buying and selling of those homes. And then turning to news, we have PDAC. Um, so bringing Lifecycle public, of course, Mitch interviewed this company last week. So they 
uh, have now announced a deal with uh, Ultium Cells LLC, which is a joint venture between General Motors and LG Chemical. So instead of throwing away those, those old batteries, Ultium is going to send them to a recycler, which in this case happens to be Lycycle, who will then use the scrap um, and turn it into you know other items. So Lycycle getting a decent-sized partnership here with General Motors and um, LG Chem. So keep an eye out on that one. And former SPAC Porch Group, PRCH, got a couple analyst notes yesterday. Um, so Stevens & Co. initiated coverage with an overweight and a $27 price target. Um, and then there was also uh, another one, um, you know, so it's keep an eye out on Porch. Uh, it's been a decent performer, um, that $27 Price target, you know, significantly higher than where sh shares are trading now at 1466. So keep an eye out on that one. And then we have THCB merging with Microvast. They they did approve that vote extension now to July 31st. Um, so not a lot of news for that one for a couple months here, but that is one you know that has been delayed with the deal announcement and delayed with that vote. So definitely keep that in mind. Then STIC set their merger vote date to May 28th. And then yesterday, our two deals, SRNG down about a percent and AURC down 6%. So again, you know, these deal announcements fading into the day. And then we had two deals announced this morning. So up first, we have CENH. This is Centricus Acquisition Corp. Announced a SPAC deal with Quantum Encryption Company, Arkeet Limited, so Arkeet uh, has pioneered a unique quantum encryption technology called Quantum Cloud, uh, which makes the communication links of any network device secure against current and future forms of hacking, even an attack from a quantum computer. So definitely interesting, um, you know, quantum technology. We, of course, you know, saw the DMY ideal, um, you know, in the quantum space as well. The, the big keys for me on this deal are our key current customers include the United Kingdom government, the European Space Agency, uh, British T Telecom, and, and others. And then they also have uh, companies like Verizon, BP, and Northrop Grumman, and Iridium, who are currently testing their technology in different use cases. And also space company Virgin Orbit is an investor in the company. So right now, fiscal 2021 revenue projected at 14 million, 2022 estimate 32 million. And this was valuing the company at $1 billion. Um, so keep an eye out on this one. And then our other big deal announced this morning, ticker SWBK, this is Switchback 2 Corporation, uh, announced a merger with Bird, which is a leading electric micromobility company, um, e-scooters. Uh, so, you know, they definitely ex expect to expand to more cities and also introduce the bird bike. So current SWBK shareholders will own 10.8% of the company. They operate in 200 cities, uh, more than 95 million rides from customers from inception to now. They have hardware and software technology. They see an $800 billion market size. Um, you know, as 60% of all trips taken by people are five miles or less, which makes micromobility ripe for expansion. They saw high growth during the pandemic. Then they also shifted to a fleet manager model, which reduces their cost. Um, so that first scooter launched back in 2017, 
the most recent scooter uh, in March 2021 with the Bird 3, and then that Bird bike to be released in the future. Um, so right now they had revenue of 95 million in fiscal 2020, uh, and then 18 million rides. They are guiding for 37 million rides and 188 million dollars in revenue for fiscal 2021. And then going all the way out to fiscal 2023, they see revenue hitting 815 million. And then our other big news this, uh, today just happened not too long ago. Uh, PSTH, Pershing Square, Bill Ackman SPAC spiking um, on some comments that Bill Ackman made. Um, he said that he's been working on a transaction since November and that it'll either be done in the next few weeks or we'll move on to the next one. Uh, he said that they've been deeply involved in a, trans a transaction uh, and called it an iconic company. Um, so wouldn't go further than that, uh, you know, but calling it an iconic company. So definitely going to have strong name brand recognition if this deal gets done. You know, Ackman setting the timeline there saying this deal will get done in the next couple of weeks or they'll move on to the next one. Also of note, Ackman took a stake in Domino's Pizza today and sold out of Starbucks. So, of course, there has been rumors that, you know, Pershing Square could take Subway public. You, you know, maybe the restaurant space is where Ackman's headed now. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Mitch? But did you see the, the PSTH uh, movement there? Yes, definitely, definitely did see it on the chart. As you can see from that spike on the one-minute chart here, definitely some people piling into this trade here. But one of the things that I'd mention is to me, to me, and I still think I'm still thinking Stripe, if it's something that he's been working on since November, it could very much be that Stripe rumor that we heard mentioned multiple times. So definitely keep your eyes on it. I'm not sure what it's going to be, guys. If it's Subway, I think I will be like a lot of people and be a little bit upset because I'm not going to go get a Subway sub anytime soon. But if it's Stripe, look out, guys. Look out. Yeah, I, I wonder about that wording of iconic, right? Like, what, what does iconic mean? I feel like it's an interpretation <laughs> to, to each person. Because to me, you know, is Stripe an iconic company? I feel like they're like a, a high-growth company right now and well-known. But, you know, when he says iconic... I, I that almost scares me that it's more of a subway here. I'll tell you what's iconic, Chris. Spac's attack, baby. <laughs> Spac's attack is iconic. And I'll tell you what's even more iconic. The interview we're about to get into, guys. So That's let's right. go ahead and let's unlock some SPACs. Let's get into our interview. The everybody's favorite time when we go ahead and inform the retail trader out there on a new company. So let's go ahead and All right, all right, let's get into our interview today. If you guys are excited about this, I want to see lots just roll through the chat. So definitely, definitely, guys, put it up in the chat. Let's bring on our interview. All right, perfect. Yeah, another exclusive interview here on SPACs Attack. So joining us today, we have Michael Bohr. He's the CEO of CarLots. That ticker is L-O-T-Z. Welcome to the show, Michael. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Definitely, definitely excited, excited. And I'll let Chris go with some questions. And I got some great ones of my own, so I'll be back. Awesome. All right. So let's get started here, Michael. You know, SPACs attack. We're all about SPACs here on the show. So the first question we have to ask, you know, is why did Carlots choose the SPAC route to go public? And was a traditional IPO a consideration as well? 
Yeah, so we're about a 10-year-old business, uh, and we've uh, historically uh, operated on uh, very limited resources. We raised about $500,000 back in 2011 when we started the business, and, and then we raised a million and a half later, uh, a year or so later, and then $5 million. And then in 2017, we raised uh, what ended up being $20 million from uh, a private equity firm called TRP Capital, which uh, formerly was Roger Penske's private equity fund, Penske Capital Partners. And with that, we grew, we added more locations, we spread around the country some more. And, and then in early 2020, when we were uh, hitting our stride, uh, we started thinking about what, what are the next steps we want to take as a business and what, what are the resources we need to, to get there? And what do we think is the best way to, to uh, get those resources so we can achieve our goals? And so we chatted with bankers. We had been working with uh, several bankers and this SPAC route uh, seemed to make a ton of sense. It was a way for us to secure the amount of capital that we needed to uh, achieve our, our longer term growth uh, plan. Uh, it enabled us to kind of partner with a team of investment professionals that knows retail and consumer brands have invested in multi-billion dollar retail and consumer brands in the past through their uh, investment history with Advent International. And I'm talking about Akamar Partners, which is uh, the SPAC that we ended up merging with. Um, and it, it allowed us to get liquidity for some of our early investors that had been in for 10 years and, and even some of our more recent investors. And so generally allowed us to increase our um, uh, this, you know, public's knowledge of our business. And so generally we thought it was a, it was a great route. We hadn't really considered the traditional IPO um, up until that point. Uh, it was part of the discussion. You know, we were in the midst of COVID and in, embarking on a process that would have us, you know, needing to travel or have a, a bunch of face-to-face -face meetings didn't seem like it made sense just due to timing. And so this, uh, SPAC um, uh, made the most sense to us. And so we went down the path uh, and fortunately for us, it turned out to be a very successful transaction. Perfect. So, you know, you mentioned you've been around for, you know, a couple of years. Uh, can you just give us a brief background? Those of our viewers who aren't familiar with Carlots, what is Carlots all about? Yeah, so Carlots is uh, essentially a consignment business for cars. We're a marketplace where sellers of vehicles can bring us their vehicles. We professionally mer merchandise them, market them, get them sold for our sellers uh, in, in a way that most people have now gotten comfortable with buying, which is omni-channel. You know, they start online, they, they might continue all the way online and, and buy the vehicle fully online, or they might want to come in and test drive a vehicle uh, and deal with human beings. So uh, our, our model allows them to transact however they want to transact. And then we sell the car to the buyer and we act as the marketplace where all of this happens. And so we enable that. We provide financing, warranties, trade-in options to the buyer. We provide a lot more uh, proceeds to the seller than if they traded the car in or tried to sell it in the wholesale market. So essentially, you know, for the, from a buyer's perspective, we're an auto retailer that cares deeply about how they want to transact. And has, we have a, a model that enables them to transact however they want to transact to get a high quality car at a great price. For a seller, we're a totally different business. We're a way that they can get more money for their car without all the hassle that's associated with uh, the private market or any other ways that they might try to sell a vehicle. Awesome. So, you know, Carlotte just reported this week 
So we saw first quarter revenue up 123% year over year, those unit sales up 76%. So talk to us a little bit, what were the contributing factors, um, you know, for that large growth that Carlot saw in this quarter? Yeah, I mean, what's great about the growth is a lot of the growth that's built into our plan for the year is based on new hub openings. So opening in new markets. Uh, we've mentioned that we're going to open 14 to 16 hubs this year. Uh, we in, in Q1, we opened three and they were largely towards the end of the quarter. So all that growth that we accomplished in Q1 was really in advance of all these new hubs that we will be opening over the course of the year. Um, the growth was, you know, frankly, just a, a, a part of um, great demand in the market. We had uh, several, there are several things going on in the used car market that are making uh, car sales a, a very hot sector. One, obviously, Q1 is when most people get their tax refunds. And so that's typically a pretty good quarter for us. It was uh, supersized with the, uh, with the stimulus dollars that came into the economy around the same time. So people had the opportunity to uh, either buy a, a more expensive car with their tax refund check and the stimulus, or they could buy two cars or they could, you know, it was just a lot of transactions in the used car market. All of that was exacerbated by the fact that new cars aren't coming off the line as quickly as uh, automakers would like them to, because there's this chip shortage that's making, uh, that's slowing down the production of new cars. So people who ordinarily would have bought uh, you know, a brand new Tahoe for $60,000, they would then go and buy a sixty dollars or $50,000 very nice used car instead because the Tahoe wasn't available. And so you had new car buyers entering the used car market. You had traditionally used car buyers uh, having more capital to, um, to, to buy maybe several cars or, or a more expensive car. And so all of that compounded with us generally just being better at what we do and offering more vehicles for sale and having a lot of great inventory for people opening in several new markets. And, and so you, you put that all into the, into the soup and it created a, a wonderful quarter for us, 123% top line growth. Yeah. You know, on a macro level, we've definitely heard, you know, the, the car story. And I, I have to ask, you know, are, are we starting to see, you know, in Carlot's case where demand is outpacing supply, was there any, you know, supply constraints during that first quarter um, at locations? Yeah, I mean, Q1, we did well with supply. We had uh, gotten supply forward from Q4. Uh, we were getting a lot of vehicles from our accounts. And remember, you know, we, we have basically four levers to pull to get inventory uh, onto, uh, onto our website and into our locations. One is the consumer consigner. So that might be you. Uh, not satisfied with your trade-in offer, not willing to go down the path of selling it yourself, parking it on the side of the road and dealing with strangers. And so you bring us that vehicle. So that's kind of how we started the business. And we have a lot of room to grow with that. So that's one lever we have to pull. Two is the commercial consigner. So these are fleet management companies, leasing companies, rental businesses, um, wholesalers, banks, financial institutions, any business that might otherwise sell a car uh, at an auction, uh, they're a potential client of ours or an existing client of ours. So that's another lever we have to pull. Uh, third and fourth is really buying from our accounts if they want to bulk sell us vehicles or if we have consumers that want to sell us vehicles. And then the fourth lever is buying at the auction like a traditional dealer, which we do from time to time if we want to stock up on certain types of vehicles that we're not getting on consignment. So we've got four levers to pull. Uh, 
you know, as we as we went through Q1 and we saw just much greater demand than we had anticipated due to all the factors we just talked about, we started pulling on those levers a lot a lot faster. Uh, but the the demand kind of out, outpaced supply, as you had mentioned, and we ended up seeing by the end of Q1 and in, really into April, uh, inventory slightly below where we wanted it to be, and so we're kind of ramping that back up, and we're we're moving back up again in terms of inventory. So keeping with the the Q1 uh, trend here and the demand, I, I know you can't comment, you know, on the share price of lots L O T Z. But do you think there was, you know, some concern from investors that guidance wasn't raised um, after this strong first quarter, and that Carlotts is keeping the the full year guidance just kind of where it's at? Yeah, you know, in our very limited time as a public company, it's um, what we're trying to do is really focus on operating the business and and you know educating investors on what we do um, and creating a successful business that will that will do well over the course of the year. Uh, it's been very difficult for us to predict um, why our share price moves down or up on any on any given day. You know, the, we we announced 123 percent um, top line growth and um, reiterated the guidance that we had put out there for the for the full year. And the stock price did not perform well on that news, which we we scratch our heads about for a little bit, and then we get back to business of of running the company. So we've got a lot of work to do to roll out. Uh, the, the remainder of the 14 to 16 hubs that we'll be opening this year. Um, that will be a, a lot of work on our part. We'll, we'll be sourcing a lot of inventory for those new hubs. Uh, we'll be dealing with a lot of new customers. We're ramping up our marketing. We're ramping up our technology. We're hiring a lot of people. Uh, so we've got a lot of work to do. And, uh, you know, watching the stock price from day to day is, is something we try not to do. Yeah, perfect. I, I definitely understand that with the share price. Um, one of the things from that presentation, you know, back in October in the guidance was uh, a call for positive uh, EBITDA by fiscal 2022. Is that still, you know, within reach or has the, the bottom line guidance um, changed at all? Yeah, so, you know, we, when we open a new hub, we can typically get to uh, profitability uh, relatively quickly within 18, 24 months. And uh, this, the pace at which we open our new locations uh, really drives the, the the rate at which we can get to positive EBITDA on a on a total company basis. We have in the in the history of the business achieved positive uh, achieved profitability uh, each time before we raise capital. And when we set out our plan with, with in conjunction with merging with the SPAC, we set out a plan that had us growing a certain number of locations. In, you know, we we initially said. Uh, three to four per quarter. We changed that to 14 to 16 for the year as we saw those ramp up. And we have not changed any of our guidance on, on the out years at all. Awesome. So back in March, there, there was a partnership with uh, Ally Financial announced with Carlots. Can you walk us through a, a little bit of that partnership and how that's going to help Carlots as a company and also Carlots customers moving forward? Yeah, we've been working with Ally um, on a kind of a customer vendor relationship for years. Uh, great people, great team. Uh, always felt like we had a lot in common with them uh, with respect to you know, how we think about the, the guest experience and value that we're trying to provide to our clients. Um, and so as we were embarking on our, you know, the steepest uh, rate of growth that we have ever embarked upon as a business, uh, we really wanted to kind of double down on this relationship that we have with Ally. And so we 
we work with them to, to create something that's that's really multifaceted. So one, it provides um, just better uh, lending opportunities to buyers of vehicles. Two, it provides some of the aftermarket products and services that our buyers might want when they're buying a vehicle. So uh, warranties and, and insurance and different different products that uh, that Ally offers. Uh, three, uh, a floor plan that meets our growing needs. So, you know, we typically get all of our um, uh, inventory through consignment. So we're not a massive user of a, of a floor plan like most of the other uh, more traditional car dealerships. Uh, but as we grow and as we open new locations, we do require capital to stock the pond initially with cars um, so that we have inventory there on day one before the, before the consignment flows. And so having access to a robust uh, floor plan that makes sense for us financially was was another uh, key aspect of it. And then fourth is the remarketing. So we do remarketing for lots of clients. They do remarketing through their smart auction business. So us working uh, a lot closer together with uh, their remarketing folks to make sure that we're sending the right vehicles through retail, the right vehicles through wholesale so that we can all win and our clients can all win is a big part of it. So it's really this multifaceted relationship. It's kicked off. It's it's working really well, um, and uh, it, it's a it's a fantastic um, new new leg of the stool of car lots. So we tweeted out that you were going to be you know on this show today, and you know it got a lot of interest. Of course, we got some questions from people, and one of the questions that piqued my interest was talking about a mobile app. Um, so what can you tell us about car lots? Uh, you know, and a mobile app rollout going forward. Yeah, so, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, we have uh, always run this business uh, constrained from a capital perspective. I think, you know, some people view that as a negative. Uh, it actually enabled us to really focus on profitability as a business uh, and not overspend on, on uh, speculative development. And, and it really focused us on building a strong business that adds value to buyers and sellers. One of the negatives of running in a capital constrained environment is that there wasn't a ton of capital to go and develop super cool technology. And so uh, as part of this transaction, and it was in our, our materials when we went through the SPAC deal, is we've earmarked a significant portion of the proceeds from the SPAC merger to further develop and transform our technology. And the transforming of the technology is both internal, uh, backend, enabling us to just be more nimble experiment quickly, develop a lot more on the back end, but also what you, uh, a, a potential CarLats guest might see. And so that'll be the, the website and a, and a new mobile app, which we've never had before. So it's important to us that um, because we run this omni-channel uh, business marketplace, that our guests can uh, interact with us what, in whatever way makes the most sense for them. So if someone wants to put technology aside, come to one of our hubs, deal with one of our fantastic people and get a, a buy a vehicle without ever touching technology, they can do that. That rarely happens, as you can imagine these days, but that is possible. If someone wants to pick up a, a, a phone and buy a car fully through their phone, we want them to be able to do that. Today, they can do that through the mobile version of our website, but what they will be able to do shortly as we roll it out will be to do that through an app that will give them the ability to buy a car, shop for cars, set alerts, also consign vehicles. We have a lot of great plans uh, to roll out through our mobile app that we're very excited to have the capital to now go and develop. So we anticipate that, uh, you know, the initial rollout will be kind of a, 
either very late Q2 or Q3 um, uh, timeline for us. And then it will be continue. We will continue to develop it to make sure it's uh, as robust and leading as as we'd like it to be. So one of the great things about going public, you know, either uh, SPAC or IPO, is you know we can talk about total addressable market size. Um, you know, and that's one of the things that stands out. You know, with, with car lots here and also other players in the field is you know the current low penetration. Um, you know, of the, the online buying and selling of cars. Um, you know, can you, can you talk a little bit about the, the TAM here and the opportunity that CarLots has? Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons we got into this market is it's such an attractive uh, business from an industry perspective. We always used to joke that if you, uh, if you went in front of a, a business school class, you know, Stanford Business School, and you uh, and you asked uh, a bunch of very promising young business minds if they'd like to uh, get into an industry that is a trillion dollars big, that is hyper-fragmented, everybody would raise their hand, uh, that it has very low customer service scores, everybody would raise their hand. And then you say, uh, but it's the used car market. And like, you know, everybody's hand would come down very quickly. It's just this industry that is... Um, uh, burdened with uh, years and years of bad behavior, uh, mistrust, treating customers poorly, et cetera. So this industry is just very ripe for disruption. It's very ripe for new entrants to come in and create magical experiences for guests like we've seen in all, almost all other sectors of the consumer economy. Um, and we've, we started seeing that a few decades ago when CarMax came into the industry and, and started, you know, really kind of... Um, standardizing the process and some dealers uh, came along a lot of most dealers kind of fought that and then you had other new entrants like Carvana and then Vroom and and you know there there are these new entrants that are coming in and offering uh, to treat the customer with respect and treat them well uh, to offer a tremendous amount of technology to make the transaction easy and all of that and so that's becoming the new norm uh, and so it you know it's just an industry that is um, is a very exciting one to be in to, specific to your question, it's massive. Uh, you know, it's nearly a trillion dollars big. It's very, very fragmented. So even today, when you have massive retailers like CarMax selling hundreds of thousands of vehicles, there's still single digits um, uh, market share in this industry. And then when you factor in the, the market penetration of online only, it, it, it shows that there's, even, there's so much more room for growth and technological development and you know, great customer experience development um, that we're, we're we're very excited to be in this industry. It's it's why we chose this industry. Perfect. I think I'm gonna pass the mic over to Mitch here with some questions now. Then, what's up? Yeah. How we doing? How we doing? Excited well. to get into this. Um, now, one of the things that did uh, I wanted to talk about, and you've mentioned it already a little bit, that you guys plan to open that 14 to 16 hubs in the full fiscal year. Now, what is the timeline really on getting this done? But one of the things that did impress me was the target here of 120 days to get that new hub opened. And you explained that process. I did see the San Antonio one open there in 108 days. So maybe we can start bringing this number slowly, slowly down as we continue to open new hubs. But explain to me, how do you guys select location? And also, how do you guys get it open that quickly? Yeah, so... Uh... Two, two totally different questions. How we get it open quickly is we have an awesome team that just focuses on this, and I'll get into that in a second. In terms of how we how we find locations, 
you know, our, the, the locations we find are, are typically former automotive use locations. And um, there are some complexities with finding the right locations. For whatever reason, probably because of the reputation that I just talked about of the used car industry, most neighborhoods don't want used car and it's like strip clubs, methadone clinics, and used car dealers are like the three things that nobody wants in their neighborhood for, for some reason. And as, as a you know, forward-thinking next-gen used car dealer, uh, we really need to get away from that reputation. But there are only but so many locations around the country where you can set up an operation and, and maintain a dealer license, which makes you a used car dealer. Uh, and so first things first is we have to kind of narrow it down to where we can actually be without having to go through a tremendous amount of hoops, uh, working with local uh, authorities to change zoning restrictions and things like that. So we do that. We want a big parking lot. We need a, we don't need a very big building like a traditional car dealership, uh, because, you know, much of our business does transact, especially initially online. And so we, we, we need less, um, building space we need as much parking space as possible we like to be in high traffic retail locations because we st we still think today even though people do a lot of the transaction online we want our brand to be associated with the used car or automobile transaction it's frankly why uh carvana puts their vending machines in you know right near dealerships uh you just want your brand to be uh in the solution set when people are shopping for cars and so we like to be uh, in high traffic auto retail locations and we like to be in dynamic, fast growing markets. Uh, and so you, you've noticed this year we opened in Seattle, in Orlando, in Nashville so far. Uh, those are markets. Seattle and Nashville are new markets for us. We don't really have uh, hubs or a presence anywhere near there. Our Orlando location is somewhat close to our Tampa location. So we we built a location there to get excess capacity in the Florida market, which has been a tremendous market for us. Uh, and then since then, we have um, announced locations that are both capacity building locations and also new locations for us. So uh, uh, California is gonna be a brand new market for us. Uh, we, we announced that one. And then we've got Charlottesville, Virginia, Highland uh, Park, Illinois, and Clearwater, Florida that we've announced. Those are all somewhat new location, but also capacity building locations for us. And then we, we've, we've signed almost a dozen leases for additional locations um, around, the, around the country. So uh, a lot of growth in new locations. In terms of starting a location, we have an advanced team. We call them the growth warriors. Uh, they go and they take everything that they know about uh, what we do at car lots. They land in the new location and they just make it happen. We hire a team, typically start with a general manager of the location, and then we build the whole team around the Growth Warriors and our GM, including our coaches, which help, um, it's Growth Warriors with a Z. Um, it's in, 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 including our, uh, uh, our technicians who work on the cars, our inventory team that makes sure the inventory is coming in and looks right, uh, gets put on our website, our coaches, which, um, they work with our guests to make sure that the that the experience people are getting is a, is a very positive one. So all of that happens very, very quickly while we're throwing the paint up, getting the furniture, getting the computers rolled in, and then it just magically comes together, you know, hopefully before day 120. Uh, Orlando was super fast. It was in like a, a 60 days or something, even less than that. Um, and so we're able to do it very quickly now because we've got this amazing team of project managers, growth warriors that just make it happen. 
I think you're on mute, Mitch. You tricked the good old. It wouldn't be Mitch without the music, <laughs> but uh, I, I definitely, definitely love how you mentioned the growth warriors. I like the name for it. Definitely, definitely, you have to have your builders, right? And your builders are the ones that really get us off the ground and, and, and get us running. You know, one of the things that we do on Benzinga is we always talk about we're not working here, we're building here. And that's really what it's all about. So one of the things that I wanted to get into, and I heard in the earnings call a lot about the Orlando hub and how that's thriving. How are you guys getting the word of mouth open and, and out there to, to everybody so that everybody in, let's say, Orlando knows that Carlots is available to them now? Yeah, so with respect to marketing and getting the word out, there's kind of uh, three phases or, or three, three different stages we've been in as a company. There was the stage we were in uh, when we first started the business, which is we had no money, so we relied on word of mouth. And we, we continue to believe that the best way for the word to spread for what we're doing is for us to do a really good job. Uh, and that continues to be, frankly, the best, cheapest way we can market the business. Phase two was we hired a CMO late last year. He's building out a marketing team. Uh, and so we've started to take advantage of uh, more intense marketing online, more intense marketing through traditional channels like out of home and radio um, and billboard, uh, all of that. And so that's kind of phase two. And we, we think that's going to be important. But really, phase three is a much bigger, broader brand message. Uh, we are a very unique business in, in our industry. We're the only one that's a marketplace versus a merchant. Merchant is someone who buys low and sells high. We're a marketplace in that we enable sellers of vehicles to sell through us to achieve greater outcomes. And so we really need to teach the country that this is what we do and they can make more money by consigning their car than by uh, either baiting it in or trying to sell it themselves. So we have a lot, a lot of work to do in terms of building this brand, letting people know that we have a very high quality product. We stand behind the product uh, and we create magical guest experiences. We also love telling the stories of people that that uh, sell cars through us or that we're able to work with. We have uh, because we're working with private sellers of vehicles. We get we get like very uh, in, intimate with their stories and when what this what the car was all about. And we have some awesome stories of people, you know, have used their car a certain way and now they're selling it and they're you know, their dealer offer was 20,000. We were able to sell the car for $28,000 and they made a net of our fees. They made an extra 7,000. And with that, they were able to send three of their kids to camp. And so we just have some amazing stories of what people do when they work with us, what they do with the extra proceeds that they get. Um, it's just, a, it, it's, it's frankly, this, the most fun part of this job is hearing the personal stories um, of people selling their car, making a ton more money and, and what they do with it. All right, so the next area that I wanted to go into, and I'll bring up this slide here from the uh, updated presentation here. And really it's focusing on the customer acquisition cost here. Um, you know, a lot of people have and investors have tried to compare you to Shift. And as you guys can see here, two different sides here. Shift spending about two thousand and four dollars here compared to, let's say, a car lots here at four hundred to four hundred and twenty five. One of the things that I want to see is that these are completely two different strategies. How is your strategy going to benefit car lots? And let's say versus spending all the way up to, let's say, two thousand per that uh, cost per unit. Yeah, so you know, without, we don't know how Shift runs their business, so uh, you know, I won't comment on you know how how others do it. You know, for us, um, there are there are different parts of our growth phase where we will spend more money, 
to better uh, educate the, the country on what we're doing. And a lot of times it takes time for that brand message to translate into sales and units sold and bring your customer acquisition costs down. So the, the numbers you're looking at here are what we were spending before we really ramped up our growth curve. As we ramp up, we are spending on brand building. We are spending in new markets, which take a little bit of time to mature. And so our customer acquisition costs will be a, a dynamic and moving number. But ultimately, at the end of the day, because we're a business that has always focused on profitability, it's it's clear that you know eventually you have to bring your customer acquisition costs to below your gross profit per significantly below your gross profit per, per unit, or else you're not a profitable going concern of a business. So you know we we uh, we, we we try to market not by outspending uh, our competitors. Uh, it is a very crowded marketing space. We try to market by marketing intelligently in a way that uh, makes sense financially. Definitely, definitely would have to agree there. Now, one of the things that I wanted to bring up, of course, is differentiations, right? Now, one of the things that I focused on was how Carlots is focused on this asset light inventory model. I think this really separates you guys. Can you explain to me how this gets you guys a limited capital at risk and how this really will benefit, let's say, maybe the margins or how you guys can benefit from that asset light model? Yeah, so there's a there's another page in the deck somewhere that kind of highlights like how much inventory different retailers hold. Mm -hmm. And when, when you're a, a, a retailer that has inventory, uh, let's say you have $100 million worth of inventory, there's a lot that can happen. The market can slow down. There can be a pandemic. Uh, there could be a massive recall that reprices inventory. Uh, and so you've got this $100 million of capital at risk with this inventory. Um, and it's uh, and one, it's expensive to have all that capital in use, and then it's risky to have all that capital at risk. So by offering a marketplace or a, a really car sales as a service that we offer, uh, we're essentially providing the value of getting the car sold without taking the risk of um, owning the inventory while we're selling it. And what that does is it, it reduces our risk and makes us more profitable, but it also allows the seller of the vehicle to participate in that process and make more money on the sale of their vehicle. And so if you go to one of the pages uh, in that deck that kind of highlights some case studies of vehicles that, that we sell, you know, there are a lot of times when people will come to us with a, with a $10,000 offer from a dealer, they tried to sell it themselves, they couldn't get it done. It, 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 it took too long or it was risky or they were having scammers call them. We're able to sell it for $4,000 more net of our $1,000 fee. They end up with $3,000 more. It's just they get to participate in the value of the, of the car sales process in a way that they've never been able to before. And uh, and that's uh, it's exciting for a lot of people to be able to do that. We have people sending us cars from all around the country uh, waiting for us to show up in their market. Uh, so that it, uh, they can get even more value. Because one, one of the things about the car market, we talked about all the positives. One of the negatives is it's a very complicated, big, heavy, expensive, potentially oil dripping product that you need to move around the country. It's complicated. It's very operations heavy. And so our hub expansion strategy, really spreading our business around the country, is important because we need to be close to where the sources of vehicles are and we need to be close to where the demand for those vehicles are and by having a distributed hub strategy we get to do that and the closer we get to the cars that we're selling the less expensive it is for those people who are selling the car to get the car to us 
And the less expensive it is for them to get the car to us, the more value they make when they sell the car. So if we have, for example, a seller of a car in Houston, uh, we, we currently have a hub in San Antonio. So they're going to spend, let's say, $200 to get that truck to our San Antonio hub so that we can sell it for them. And when we sell it for them, let's say they make $1,000 more than their, uh, than their dealer offered them, net of all fees and expenses. Well, if we had a location in Houston, they would make $1,200 more because they wouldn't have to ship the car $200 away. So by having a, a, a more distributed hub strategy, we're able to um, you know, make our operations more efficient, but also add a lot of value to uh, our sellers and buyers. All right, I'm going to bring Chris back here. Yeah, perfect. Uh, you know, great questions there, Mitch. Um, you know, awesome, Michael. If you don't mind, uh, what we like to do on the show here is bring some questions from the chat. We have, you know, our viewers that have been with us for months and months. So I, I'm getting a question out there from Brad um, asking, are you entertaining the possibility of franchising in the future? You know, any talks years down the road, building out those hubs across the nation you, using a franchise model? Yeah, so when we first started the business, probably if I, maybe going back to like 2015, we felt like that might be a good way for us to rapidly expand our business. Um, we we uh, started talking to a franchise consultant. We, we kind of talked about that as a potential path to growth. Um, what we found is, you know, the most important thing about our business is the guest experience and the integrity and transparency that we bring into this industry. And we found that it was really, really difficult to put all the very important guardrails around our process to make sure that people that might just franchise into the model and not be you know controlled by you know all these processes that we create they might be able to stray from this guest experience that we're trying to provide every day and they might be able to stray from the very tight lines of integrity and transparency that we're that we put into our process and so it just scared us too much to basically take our business model and this brand that we've built and invested so much into and hand it to someone who now can kind of go and potentially cowboy their own version of what we're doing in a way that um, can destroy the brand nationally. So I think franchising works really well. And, you know, like you, you guys were talking about Subway earlier, um, it works really well when you deliver, you know, the same ingredients from, you know, from a central location, you tell someone exactly how to make that sub. They make the sub and they make money. That's fine. The used car transaction, it's complicated. Um, it, it's, it's heavily regulated. Uh, it, it enables the operator to potentially veer off track uh, for a short-term profit motive. And we just didn't want that to potentially uh, tar our brand. So we've gotten away from thinking about franchising as a way to, to grow the business. Perfect. And then another question here from WebCoin. Uh, you know, we talk electric vehicles a lot. So question is, how do they see the change to electric cars affecting their business in time? Any thoughts on the shift to electric vehicles uh, affecting car lots? Yeah. So, uh, you know, on a personal level, love it. I mean, I love electric. Um, I'm dying to get a Tesla one day. Um, so I think that'd be super cool. Uh, we, we sell a lot of electric vehicles. I definitely feel like it's, you know, it's, uh, it's the future. Um, at the end of the day, uh, the fact that a car is manufactured and then eventually becomes a used car that then gets traded a lot um, means that, it, you know, I don't know that it necessarily matters for us whether we're selling an uh, internal combustion engine car or an electric car. Um, we, we need to probably um, 
install more chargers as we get more and more electric vehicles. Uh, we sold a beautiful Model X uh, out of our Orlando hub the other day that just looked amazing. Um, and, but we charged it, you know, we had to charge it all the time because people were coming to test drive it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the, the electric vehicle uh, you know, path forward is probably more of an issue for uh, an original, like a franchise dealer that has to do, you know, that makes a lot of their money from service and parts because there are fewer, fewer parts and less requirements for service on an electric vehicle. And so if I was running a, you know, Ford dealership, um, that would be a concern of mine. But in the used market, you know, I don't know that there's any um, suggestion that because a car is electric, it will be traded less or traded more. Or So we view it as just a, a, a future feature of our business versus uh, something that changes, you know, how we think about our business from a financial perspective. Awesome. All right. Yeah, go ahead, Matt. Yeah. So the last question that I would have is going towards incentives. Do you guys give incentives for buying and selling with the same kind of just going directly through you guys? I know that there's uh, maybe some incentives there being offered. How does that work? Yeah. So Mitch, the incentive is that if you sell through us, you make several thousand dollars more than you would if you uh, if you sold it any other way. That's a that's a huge incentive. And that's what brings people in. Um, obviously, uh, you know, as we grow, uh, we're always thinking about ways to supercharge the growth of the business. So, um, you know, not without, it's not, uh, it, everything's on the table in terms of different ways that we can motivate people to, to try us out for the first time uh, or, um, you know, other ways that we can get people to, to try the model. Excellent. Looking forward to uh, checking it out. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I'm always looking to kind of swap the cars and do the trade in value. So I'll definitely take a look. Awesome. Well, we look forward to seeing you. All right. Perfect, guys. Another exclusive interview here on SPACs Attack. We have Michael Bohr, the CEO of CarLots. That ticker is L-O-T-Z. Michael, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day for joining us on the show. We look forward to following, you know, the progress of the company moving forward. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys, as you guys see, we had another exclusive interview. I've honestly think we're definitely over the 100 mark now, Chris. And one of the things that we try to do, guys, is try to ask some questions, some creative questions, some questions also from you guys out there in the chat. So if you guys enjoyed today's show, definitely give us a thumbs up. Let us know in the comments who do you guys want next. We'll definitely go ahead and reach out and try to get that interview planned. Yeah, guys, smash the like. I don't think we've hit 100 likes yet today. You, you know, we're really trying here to bring you guys, you know, the companies that you want to hear from, um, you know, not just the companies where their shares are trading, you know, at $40, $50, but also some of these ones that maybe the, the market, you know, overreacted to or, you know, shares are trading down. Um, you know, so I liked hearing his reaction to the the first quarter earnings, the the comments on guidance and, you know, electric vehicles never really thought of that, that, you know, to to a car, a car salesperson, you know, selling a, a gas powered car and an electric vehicle, you know, it's the same thing. You're, you're just trying you're trying to sell it. You know, the charging was interesting because, yeah, I can imagine if you had a, a used Tesla for sale, there was probably a lot of interest there. So that was that was pretty interesting, Mitch. Yeah, definitely. I actually looked up on CarLots today. I did see a Tesla for sale. So if you need a Tesla, definitely go on CarLots. Maybe you find a Tesla. But uh, as we know, uh, our CEO has a Tesla and 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 I, I definitely need to take it for a spin when I go to Michigan. But 
one of the things that I'm definitely going to be looking at, guys, is this mobile app that's going to be coming out. Let's see how easy to use it is because that's a lot of what I would want in, in an app. You know, a lot of things that I, I've done it before, I I did do an offer through Carvana, and that took me a little bit of a process. It wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. And this was at a time that I was looking for a new vehicle. I actually didn't go through with Carvana because it was a little bit more challenging to deal with them. And this was uh, about a year or two uh, before. For this, so I didn't unfortunately have, uh, I didn't know of car lots to really use before that, but it, it was an interesting process because what ended up happening was I, I did see the value in, in, in trading in my car and to them and seeing the values of what prices they were offering me. But the problem that I had was that the usability of it just wasn't there just yet. Now it's looking like the usability online to get vehicles has become the new norm. I, I've seen so many people and, and, and I've seen so many kind of license plates and, and that given us that symbol that, hey, yeah, this was purchased online. So it's going to be an interesting thing. I think if you would have told me 20 years ago that we're going to be buying cars online, I probably would have looked at you and been like, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. You know, normally, you know, we do a different process and, and this is how it's been. But like always, digital chimes transformation, the pandemic, the I pandemic. think all these things definitely helped. The digital transformation went 10 times X after the pandemic, because at the end of the day, we always want some convenience factor now in our technology. And this is really uh, another way to get that convenience side and not having to go back and forth to a dealer. I think I went like three or four times to the dealership and, and you know, that gets boring. <laughs> that gets, that gets a little frustrating. You know, you're, you're, you're there battling on prices and, and that kind of thing. And, and you guys know me, I'm kind of that salesman mentality. So I was trying to get every single dollar out of them. So I, this is something that's a little bit more or less hassle. And I think convenience is such a benefit in this consumer. I can picture you at the car dealership, Mitch, pulling up, you know, a stock chart and being like, <laughs> okay, well, when it hits 11,500 right here, that's where the support <laughs> line is. So if you can sell it to me there, I'll buy it. But otherwise I'm not buying it yet. So, hey, 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 I hey. even, I even got the carpets out from them. Chris, they, they wanted to give me a car without carpets. I was like, yeah. what is this, man? Yeah. What is this? Oh, man. So, you know, uh, speaking of car lots, you know, we do have some earnings tonight from these former SPACs. And one of them, Mitch, is one that you brought up, you know, talking about competition. We have Shift Technologies, SFT. You, you know, I, I think it's interesting. And, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, speculate. But what happens if Shift comes out with the report and they end up raising their guidance? You know, how could that reflect you know, in shifts share price versus car lots. So I think that's a definitely an interesting thing to watch later, you know, is shift earnings. And then we also have Playboy Group um, and Tattooed Chef. So shift and Playboy both down right now. Tattooed Chef actually up about a percent today, you know. So uh, that's the one I'm, I'm going to be watching all three. But I think Tattooed Chef, um, you know, is the one worth really watching, you know, for some positive momentum with that target launch. Um, and partnership. So, and I, I did see a comment before you touch on those earnings. I did see a comment from Solar Up uh, talking about Benson Hill, one of the deals announced this week. I, I didn't touch a bunch on it during the show this week, but I do have an article coming out on Benzinga.com. 
talking about how that is the thing behind the thing. So stay tuned, Solar Up, for that article. Um, and maybe we can talk about it, you know, next week. But go ahead, Mitch, with those those earnings ones. What do you think of those three? Yeah, so like as I pointed out, and and I wanted to point out, that's a just a really really high acquisition cost. I, I don't I, I don't think he wanted to point it out, but I, I definitely will point it out for you guys. That is really expensive. There, two thousand dollars there for a unit is is, is 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 what that shows to me, and 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 that's what I I'll talk about it in sports betting. So I don't really just keep keep to these two companies. So in sports betting, a lot of times you see the acquisition costs change because they go too extreme on, let's say, the marketing side, and they're just trying their best just to get a customer just to come to their platform. I think this is what you're seeing the different strategies here. One company focused on their margins and revenues and, and really trying to grow their business based on the business itself. And then another company here, SFT, trying to step in there and just trying to attack it with marketing. I don't know about you guys. I saw the commercial um, and, and they're definitely spending some money because I've seen this commercial multiple times. And so one of the things that I'm going to see is how does this affect their true bottom line? Because if this is so high up that it's destroying their margins, definitely, definitely you'll see probably investors probably maybe even pop up lots because they see that, hey, Shift isn't really doing that well here, even though they're they're spending so much money to trying to get to the customer. Yeah, you know, I think it's all about finding that happy medium because one of the things that we heard from people on Twitter, you know, to ask car lots, which you brought up with the Orlando hub, is how are they getting, you know, the the word out that they have this new hub? So they do have very low, you know, uh, customer acquisition. But, you know, I guess the flip side, the question could be, is it too low? Are are they doing enough marketing, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, or could they maybe, you know, meet somewhere in the middle? So you have shift on one side of the spectrum, right? Spending too much, you know, and hurting your margins. And then you have car lots, you know, which, again, they're focused on positive EBITDA by, you know, 2022. So maybe that's their focus is, you know, get to the positive But as we've seen with growth stocks, right, people want the top line growth more than the bottom line right now. So, you know, could that hurt them in the future? So something to think about. Yeah, I I did see Michael kind of mention there a a little bit of hinting that 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 price has gone up a little bit. Um, And the reason I think he's hinting there is he talked about also his the recent hiring. Right. And that they're trying to really start pushing on certain kind of aspects of that marketing. Let's see how this really changes the 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 top line and bottom line, you know, and and we're going to go ahead and see how they really adjust. Maybe on the next quarter, we get some release of how that customer acquisition cost has gone up and where they're they're going up to, because there's definitely going to be, it's it's, it's not like a perfect science, right guys? It's something that you kind of like adjust and see how it, it shows up on the revenue side. So we'll definitely see how they market and they go into the next level. And they they said it, the next stage, right? They've been doing kind of these stages in an attempt. And I think that's, that's a smart thing. When you're a brand new company, you know, you don't want to just go full on, head on 100% into growth. And then next thing you realize, man, we, we, we got ourselves a little bit too far ahead of ourselves. And, and so I, I like the approach a little bit uh, smaller in the timeline, focused on the hubs, focused on how they could really create that value within the business itself And then the investors will see that value show up on the price. 
Yeah, for sure. Definitely, you know, something to watch. So, guys, it, it's noon. I, I think we're going to be wrapping, you know, in a minute here. Uh, programming note, today is Wednesday. This was our last Fax Attack show of the week. We do have our Benzinga event going on tomorrow and Friday covering small cap stocks. So, you know, don't miss out. You know, it's going to be going all day from 9 a.m. to, you know, about 4 or 5 p.m. You, you want to stay tuned because you can listen to some great presentations from small cap companies. Uh, you know, I definitely always get value out of these events, uh, you know, from Benzinga, and I know you guys will too. So we'll be back with SPACs Attack next week. We do have some interviews lined up. So happy to bring those to you. But in the meantime, guys, don't miss out hearing about some of these small cap stocks tomorrow and Friday right here on Benzinga's YouTube. Definitely, definitely, guys. And one of the things I do want to mention is tomorrow, tomorrow on Thursday, I'm going to try to get this man, this guy right here to open up some NBA Top Shots. Talk oh, some, yeah. Talk some open Top talk Shots, some top shots on, on Money Mitch there. We will have Money Mitch on tomorrow. We're going to have the kind of a 9 a.m. pre-market prep go into the event and then go into Money Mitch. So definitely stick with us, guys. We're going to have some fun. I might have Chris do a little bit of a recap maybe for the SPAC land so that if you guys out there are SPACs Attack fans and happen to catch Money Mitch, at least you get some headlines. We'll see what we do, guys. But like always, we're going to keep growing and building here. All right, guys, we'll see you on Power Hour.